Well, we are in Ezra chapter 9 tonight, and so if you want to make your way there, we're going to finish up the book of Ezra, and we'll be starting on Nehemiah uh, next week. Uh, Oh, that's what it looks like, by the way, if I didn't put that third screen up, and that's when you open the app, that's what it looks like, and then you just go through every day. And if you do want to allow the notifications to remind you every day, you can set the time um, for one, you know, to remind you, you can be notified if you want when somebody posts or not. So you could kind of make it as, um, you know, the, change all the settings for the notifications if you just wanted to be reminded to read and, and read the, what people have posted when you're on there or not. Um, they're all there in the settings and they're all pretty simple. So again, I encourage you to do that. It's, it's a lot of fun so far. All right, Ezra chapter 9, again, is where we find ourselves finishing up the the book of Ezra. And so let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll pick it up there in verse 1. Father, uh, we are thankful now in this new year, Lord, um, for all the blessings that you have poured out into our lives, Lord. And we um, trust, Lord, that, uh, you know, I'm not a big New Year's resolutions, but, you know, I know some people are, and and then it motivates them in in some areas to you know, maybe do something or not do something or whatever the case might be, Lord. And, uh, you know, I uh, it, usually those things are a good thing. And so we pray for those that have made those kind of commitments, uh, Lord, this year. Just uh, bless them and speak to them and use them and uh, help them, whatever the case might be, Lord. Also, um, Lord, that you never would really want to be participating in just going through the New Testament uh, this year, Lord. I think um, it's just a great opportunity to systematically go through um, your word, uh, the New Testament. Um, And so we just pray that you would just uh, move in, uh, you know, everyone's heart to want to be a part of it, Lord. It's just a a great thing to do together as a a church and as a body. And even others that uh, don't fellowship here, Lord, have joined and... uh, just uh, know they're enjoying it as well, Father. So just, uh, again, we pray that you continue to use that this year. And now, Father, as we look into your word, we ask that you would just move through our hearts and through our midst, Lord. Just do that great work, Father, that you want to do as you speak to us tonight through your word. Move by your spirit, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we left off last time and. Ezra chapter 8, and, uh, you know, you could say it ended, uh, you know, happy days are here again. It was a, a great thing. They, Ezra and that small contingent of people, uh, small in comparison to the, the group that had gone originally with Zerubbabel uh, and Joshua, uh, but, you know, it was still, I don't know, six or 7,000 people if you count all the, the children and everything. It was about just shy of 2,000 uh, men. So, you know, you kind of add some families in there and children. It was safe to say it was that. And, and so they get to, you know, the, uh, the Persian king Artaxerxes had, had um, the one that, you know, Esther uh, will marry. And Mordecai, if you remember that one, we'll get to the book of Esther here after, after Nehemiah. Um, you know, him and his, uh, his court uh, blessed them with, uh, you know, tons of silver and gold and other fine articles, plus the people that didn't go, uh, the, the Jews, they, they gave some. And so they made that four-month trip. Um, they got there safely, and they went to the temple and, you know, celebrated what God was doing and rejoicing in, in the blessings that they had uh, and the resources that they had and how the king had given them some more freedom uh, and, you know, them going to the land of their forefathers and, you know, it was just an exciting time for, for Ezra and the group that was with him. And so they left off, you know, with them just sacrificing and having a great and wonderful time there. Um, and I imagine when they got there, everything seemed to be wonderful. I mean, why would it not seem wonderful? Uh, but not too long after Ezra shows up, the curtain is opened or pulled back and we'll see that there's trouble in paradise. Um, and again, it doesn't tell us how much time it is between the end of verse 
uh, or I'm sorry, the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, but I have a feeling, a sneaky suspicion, that it wasn't uh, much time at all had passed, maybe just weeks, maybe even less than that, since we find the events that will take place here in chapter 9 and 10. And so verse 1 says, When these things were done, speaking of them coming and rejoicing, offering their sacrifices and all that I just talked about, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanite, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, uh, Ammonites and Amorites. Uh, For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers had been foremost in this trespass. So, you know, Ezra is there, and again, he's rejoicing, and the people are happy that they got back in the land, and then all of a sudden, you know, this group, this contingent of of leaders, and again, remember, um, you know, the government wasn't like our government. Uh, You know, you had family leaders, you know, and, you know, the families were big and, you know, he, they were kind of, uh, whoever was the oldest of the family, you know, the oldest male usually would be, uh, you know, uh, considered a leader of that group of people, that family. And some of those families were very large, some of them not so large. So these, these leaders, these older men's that, men that, that represent various family groups in the nation there of Jews, they come to Ezra and they tell him, hey, people are marrying outside the family of God. And the worst offenders are the priests and the Levites. Now, again, I, I want to make sure we understand this because this is not about race. Um, you know, marrying outside your race. Hey, we're Jews Hebrews back, you know, then they were starting to refer to as Jews. Um, so, you know, we don't marry anybody else that's a non-Jew. Uh, you know, it's like uh, you're a, a black person, you only marry black people. You're, a, you know, somebody from eastern part of Asia, you only marry somebody from, you know, that part of the area. Or from you live in Japan, you only marry a Japanese kind of a thing. Um, don't think of it like that, because that's really not what it's about. Um, the, you know, they weren't putting it down like they were better than the other races around, and somehow the Jews were better than everybody else, because that's, that's really not the point of all this. As, as you could see, he lists these people groups of who they've been intermarrying with. And um, they were told way back in the, you know, with uh, Moses in, in a couple of spots... Um, not to intermarry with these people. And, and there's a reason why. And I'll put Deuteronomy um, uh, 7, 1 through 6, this is where Moses kind of already repeats what he already had said. And I know that's kind of small text, but and if we make it full screen, maybe you can see it, or I'll just read it to you. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations. Now, these nations might sound familiar. The Hittites the Gergashuites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your your daughters and your sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. And this is what you are supposed to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their asterisk pole, burn their idols in fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. 
And so again, Moses is repeating what he already had told the people. When you go into the land, you, you, you got to wipe out everything because if you leave any of that behind, and particularly if you leave them behind, and we went through all this and I won't go through all that. I'll just, you know, stay focused on the point of where we're reading here in Ezra is uh, again, if you just allow them there, then you're going to marry them and you're going to find yourself you know, uh, following them. You're going to find that you'll be influenced by their lives and what they do. Again, um, uh, it's always harder to pull somebody up than to pull somebody down. Uh, you know, if you're laying on the ground there and I try to pull you up, it's a lot of work. In fact, I'm not going to do it because it'll hurt my back. But but to, if I was on the ground, you know, again, to pull you down is a lot easier. Well, of course, obviously, gravity is working for you, right? That's the whole point. And, and if you would, if you take that illustration, that's what the Lord says. You know, you're going to find yourself uh, being influenced by them, and then you're going to get yourself in trouble with me. So the Lord had told them that. And again, it was specific groups of people, particularly those that were in the land, and there were still some remaining there, and they're doing it. That's exactly what they're doing, the opposite of what the Word of God had told them to do. Now, the priests and the Levites, because remember the Levites just helped the priests in doing the, the, the work of the temple. Um, you know, they even had a stricter, well, particularly the priests even had a stricter line. They were supposed to only marry within the family of the Levites and within the, the, um, the priestly ranks. And they were only, you know, uh, there was a lot of restrictions on them. God wanted to make sure that, hey, you know, you guys are representing me to the people and the people, t you know, to me. And, uh, I, I, you know, you, you need to have, you, know, you need to stay away from anything that will influence you in the wrong direction. And they even had stricter um, uh marriage requirements by the Lord. Again, all for their benefit. Um, and the reason giving is because you'll draw, you'll get drawn into their lifestyles, we'd say today, and their worldly ways. And, um, and that's what they've been doing. So this group of older guys comes to Ezra and says, Ezra, this is what's going on. And, 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 and the people that should know better, well, they're, they're the worst offenders here. Now, this isn't anything new at all, even in the New Testament, because we know 1 Corinthians 15, and there's actually a number of places where, you know, we're told that, uh, you know, we don't join in, in marriage or business or some sort of partnership or someplace where we're close with people that don't know the Lord that aren't believers. We just, uh, you know, the same kind of principle is laid down in the New Testament as well, so... Uh, there's nothing, uh, this is back then, and we have something different today. It's not like that at all. God's always warned his people that, you know, you, you, you do that and you'll find yourself, you know, going down, you know, hitting, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly. And if you think in your mind that, you know, once you're with them and once you, they see you, once you spend time with them, you know, you're really going to make some changes, then you're sorely kidding yourself. Um, again, we're not given those warnings for no reason. And particularly here, um, you know, they're, they just didn't listen to that. Now, I just like to, to back up for a second, because just think of Ezra, right? I mean, he, um, the, the temple has been set up and built for some 70 plus years by the time he gets there. And uh, well, actually, by the time, you know, he feels like the Lord's calling him to, to Jerusalem. Now, um, now I, I don't know if, I, you know, if you're Ezra, I know he was probably thinking, well, Lord, okay, you know, do you really want me to go back there? I mean, there's probably hundreds of people like me that are there to... To, to teach the Bible and know your word and know these things. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I know you're calling me and it doesn't seem like, you know, I'll have much of a place there. I, you know, I might have a better ministry here in Babylon because there, you know, uh, you know, the priests are there and the temple's there and, and they have everything. And, you know, uh, why do you need one more guy? But uh, again, you know, he might have had, why do you have me going here? But I think after this 
incident here, I think it becomes very clear to Ezra. Because Israel needed a man like Ezra to be there. Um, and, you know, sometimes the Lord calls us to do things and we don't quite understand why. And they're thinking, okay, it seems in unnecessary or I don't see, you know, the purpose behind it or, how, you know, this or that or whatever. But, you know, the Lord always has his reasons. You know, the leaders uh, knew it was wrong, but who could they go to? I mean, normally you'd go to the priests or you go to the Levites and say, hey, look, these people are, are, are disobeying, you know, the word, uh, the word of God. They're, they're going, doing the wrong thing. But when the, it's the priests and the Levites who are neck deep into this sin, who do you go to? But Ezra was the right man to do that. He would stand up and he knew what the Bible taught and he knew what should be done. And again, this is where, you know, faith comes in. When the Lord's calling us or asking us to do something or showing us to do something, you know, I, uh, the Lord just, uh, I, I thought, put on my heart today to do something that was kind of a little silly maybe. And, and I wasn't going to do it. And I thought, it's kind of silly, Lord. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to do it. What's, you know, why am I even arguing? What's not even worth it? So, you know, I, I did it and I'm still, you know, wondering, okay, what was the point of that? But, um, you know, that's where faith comes in. We just, we can't understand his calling or what he's asking us to do or stay away from or, or do or not do or say or not say, whatever the case might be. But we just need to be open to following his will and doing what he's called us to do. And I believe, you know, at some point things become clear to us when the Lord chooses to reveal that. And that's certainly the case here with Ezra because... The nation really desperately needed someone like him there. And um, now I think that's very clear to, to Ezra at this point. So he hears this, you know, and instead of re you know, rejoicing, he's in Jerusalem, joining, you know, the pre other priests, the teaching and thinking probably one thing. Verse 3 says, So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe, plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And, you know, here's Ezra. He hears this and he's just like jaw drop, you know, Bam! What? What? You got to be kidding me here! I don't get this. Um, y you know, um, I, I, he he. You gotta love Ezra's attitude here. Um, you know, the, those guys. He never says, "Oh, those lousy guys." He, oh, they should repent. Well, Lord, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not, you know, inner. You know, I, I'm not doing this, you know, I, uh, Lord, you take care of them. This is not my deal. Uh, you notice that he really feels sorrowful and really feels, I mean, he's showing how upset he is and broken he is about the sin of others. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, you, most of us, I think, would say, well, man, you're involved in this and you're doing that. Well, here's what you need to do and here's what you need to correct and everything like that. Um, and, you know, we might come up with this list and helping that and saying this. But here's a great example of the heart of Ezra, who, you know, is broken about the sins of others. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is... As we grow and mature in our relationship with the Lord, uh, the, you know, we learn that we, and we can see that we're all connected. And that's really the mature view. And Ezra understood this, that, you know, when somebody else sins or somebody else gets involved in this or somebody, you know, heads down this direction or whatever, you know, it's not about, well, they're a lousy sinner, they fell, they're this or that, you know, it's, it's you know, they're broken about it. And I'll put this slide up. It's uh, First, uh, you know, Corinthians uh, chapter twelve, um, and it says, you know, um, well, you know, when one member suffers, we all suffer. Well, let me 
put it in this, it reads it a little clearer here. It says, um, but that its parts, you know, speaking about the body, the body of Christ, should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. You know, that's what the New Testament teaches that, that you see in the example of Ezra here. Um, and it's good to stop and to think, you know, what's my attitude when I hear about someone who's sinned, or who's really gone off track? You know, do I start getting this self-righteous attitude and they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that, they should have done this, they should have done this, or, you know, do we have this mature heart like Ezra? Because, you know, if, if they're affected by the sin, then, you know, I'm affected by the sin because we're all connected. Now, we're talking about believers here because non-believers, obviously, you know, you know, they're sinning and they don't care about their sins and all this. But, you know, with the believers together like this, you know, there is this connection and we need to realize that and understand that and be broken by the sin of others because it does affect the body as a whole. So he, he just is just overwhelmed with sorrow. He doesn't even want to eat. So he's fasting now. Verse 5 says, And at evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting and have torn my garment and my robe, and I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. So, you know, uh, we're told that, you know, others that see him like this and broken, they realize, man, this is messed up. We want to join in with him about what's going on here. They kind of sit there, and then Ezra again now is humbly calling out and praying to the Lord. And I want us to listen to what he says here. And I want us to notice as we go through this prayer to see if there's any blaming or complaining or finger pointing at all this. Now remember, he has just come. He's been faithful. He did what the Lord called him to do. He stepped out in faith and didn't ask for any protection, remember, from the from the king, uh, and he, he's doing what the Lord's called him to do, that everything got safe, they got there, they offered their sacrifices, they've been blessed by God, you know, uh, through Artaxerxes and others, and so, you know, he, he hasn't done any of this. But let's listen to what he says here. Verse 6 says, And I said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. And since the days of our fathers, to this day we have been very guilty. For our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So you, you have to listen to Ezra's prayer here. You notice it's, it's we and are. I mean, uh, it, it, he is putting himself in the midst of that. And then he says, this is like Jerusalem 2.0, right? It's happening all over again. You know, this kind of attitude and this kind of sin got us into trouble in the first place. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I start instantly when he mentions our, you know, kings, I can't help but think, you know, Solomon, right? That's where my mind kind of goes, you know, in verse 7 here when he's talking about the kings. Uh, you know, he's the one that allowed all those women to move his heart astray, who had a great foundation, who started out very well, uh, had all the opportunities, you know, had, uh, you know, uh, 
a great foundation and a great start and yet didn't finish well to say the least because he had allowed that influence to come into his life and by the end of his life he was just a miserable old man and uh, you know look what happened and Ezra says, and, 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 and you're so gracious, you didn't leave us there. Even though you could have, you know, because that's what our, our sin, you said, would happen. You know, we just read that in Deuteronomy. You know, you're going to be judged if you do that. And we were, but you didn't abandon us. You didn't leave us there, even though you could have. I like verse 8, and he says, to give us a peg in his holy place. You know, um, you know, just think of a, a, a hook, you know, a peg, a, 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 you know, a place, uh, you know, to hang up something, um, your jacket or something, your shirt. Can I broaden that to what I think he's saying here? You gave us a place to call home again. Um, in your presence here in Jerusalem, we have been given another chance by you. you, you you've given us a place and a home again. And you've been so generous to that, even though, you know, uh, our sins deserve so much more. And then he goes on, verse 10, And now, O God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you've commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land in which you're entering to possess is an unclean land, and the uncleanness of the people of the lands and their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. Now therefore do not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat of the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. So he kind of quotes what Moses uh, had said, you know, and we had just read a little bit in Deuteronomy and he did in other places there as well. And after all this has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the peoples committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no remnant or survivor. Verse 15 says, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. And we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Now, that prayer was one of humility. It kind of reminds us of the prayer that Daniel prayed when he realized the 70 years were up. And, and, and God said, you know, for, through the prophet of Jeremiah, Daniel obviously had a copy of that. And he understood that 70 years God was going to bring them back. And you remember Daniel's prayer was another prayer just like this. If you like to cross-reference your Bible, that's a, a great place to put it, where he just confessed the sins and he did the same thing. It, it's all about we and our not about they and them and he or she or her. You know, you don't hear any of that in there. It's all we and are. We're in this together. And it's, this is just a true sign of a spiritual leader. Again, Ezra didn't marry a foreigner or give his son or daughter to, to one of these people, but he knew the impact on those around him and the nation. And if left unchecked, it would bring everybody down as it had in the past. He understood that very well. It has to be dealt with. And Lord, we've gotten to this point now where we're just, again, Jerusalem 2.0. We're repeating this again. This is the updated version of the same old thing here. And, uh, and Lord, uh, forgive us because we realize you have said it's only a matter of time before, you know, it affects all of us. And it's going to have an impact on everyone, this kind of heart and this kind of attitude and this kind of influence in our lives. I'd like to point this out to us. 
It's all too common today to have an attitude of acceptance, right? Um, you know, we want everybody to like us, you know, you know, people uh, generally, and I'm speaking as believers or Christians, work trying to let everybody know, you know, there, there's this attitude that can happen in the church that, you know, I'm just like you. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just like you. I'm a person just like you. You know, churches even try to do this. Um, but, you know, I, I have Jesus, but really I'm just like you. And uh, I want you to know how much I'm like you. And, uh, you, you know, it's just that this idea of being, you know, accepted. I was in um, REI today. Uh, they opened a new one in Santa Cruz. And, uh, you know, the kids have winter camp this weekend in, um, up in the Sierras. And there's supposed to be a lot of snow. And they're grown out of their snow clothes. So I was walking in RAI and I noticed this sign that they have kind of, you know, not right on the door, but it's just kind of in there, a few little, few little steps. And it said, talk about, you know, you're welcome here, but discrimination is not, or something to those, to those words. It is not welcome here. And I thought about that and as I was walking and looking for my thing and, you, you know, um, that's really, that's really what, you know, uh, people can worry about, Christians can worry about. You know, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that accusation. Uh, you know, I don't want to be on the receiving end of people, you know, saying that I, I'm discriminatory or I don't like certain groups of people or I hate them or this or that, you know, uh, and, and people worry about that or can worry about that. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to be labeled that or called that. And so, you know, they think, well, I'm, I want people to know I'm just like you. I, and I believe in Jesus. We do the same thing. And we act, you know, we have so much in common in so many ways. Hardly any difference, really, except I have Jesus. But can I say that's so completely wrong? Um... Because, you know, follow that logic out. Because people, you know, if people work at, you know, hey, I'm not that different than you. I have the same kind as you. I got the same thing. We're all kind of the same. I, I just have Jesus. I go to church. But, you know, we're all kind of in this. Then people, you know, if they think, well, if we're so much alike, then why do I need Jesus? <laughs> you're, you're just like me, except you have Jesus. And so why do I need Jesus? What? What point, what's the, the point of it? You know, if we're so much alike and, and you do, what's, what's the real point of it? And whether they express that verbally or that gets said, you know, uh, in a conversation somehow, but the reality of it is that's where people go. It's like if we're so much alike and, you, you know, you want to be accepted and, and, and have this kind of acceptance and worry about what people think and what people are going to say and what they're going to do and how they're going to react and all this kind of thing, then... Um, you know, you end up, what's the point of having Jesus? You're just going to be like me anyway. The reality is, is this. The more we're like Christ, the more people are drawn to the light. That is so essential and so key. People are looking for a meaning and they're looking for purpose in life. People are looking for something different, not like what everybody else is doing and the same old attitudes. You know, they aren't being fulfilled by the things of this world. They have their old ways and the old ideas or what people are trying now or doing now or doing this. You know, they've tried it or maybe they've heard about it. They've experienced this. You know, at the end of the day, they don't... You know, they're looking for meaning and purpose because it's not found in this world. It, they're void of that. And uh, again, people in Jerusalem were living like everybody else, doing the same things. They were influenced and not influencers. And the, the important thing is to, to have this heart like Ezra and to be more Christ-like. That's really the solution. It's not to, to blend in and, and to be accepted by people and worry about, you know, if they're going to start, you know, calling me, you know, I'm you know, discriminating and I'm, you know, at the butt end of all these things, you know, that are going to be said on social media or this or that, or, you know, I'm going to be listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center or whatever as a hate group or something like that and worrying about all those kind of things. But 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, we are going to be separate. We are going to be different. We're called to be that. And the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. And the more like Christ we are, the brighter we shine. And, and Ezra knew this. It wasn't to compromise and to, you know, blend in. It was to be set apart and to stand apart. We need to remember that. And he cries out to the Lord, and that's what you've called us to do, Lord, to be separate, to stand out. And not to be like them and not to hitch our wagons to that train. It's just, it's going down and it's empty and it's hollow and it's, most of us have walked down that path. We know what it's like and there's nothing there. Important for us to remember that. Ezra is realizing we, we just can't repeat it. We can't just water it down. We can't just get along. Can't we just all get along kind of thing. And he, he, he says it like it is. And then chapter 10, let's see what happens with this kind of love, because he was heartbroken over their sin and the responsibility that's given to him because they came to him telling him this. Let's see what happens, how people respond. Verse 1, Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before uh, the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. And I like this. Arise. For this matter is your responsibility. We are also, uh, we also are with you. Be of good courage and do this. So, because of his love and his taken responsibility, rather than pointing fingers and assigning blames and do, blame and doing all this, the, the people's response wasn't, well, you know, you have your sins, Mr. Perfect. You know, don't tell me anything. You know, it's this kind of attitude and all that. No, it's, wow, he is really crying. He is really upset. He is really brokenhearted about all that's happening, right? And it, see how it moved the people. You know, this love and compassion and this responsibility will do this. You know, because he understood, he didn't set himself up as like, you know, hey, listen, we're connected. We're all believers. We're connected. When one stumbles and falls, then, then, then we're all part of that same body. And so, you know, we all need to do the right thing. And, and, and he's not backing down from the truth as we'll see it. And what, what's happening here, he, he, he is praying and telling the people very much the, the truth here. But... Their response is, you know, we want to do the right thing. Could you please lead us? I, I like that. We, we are asking you to lead the way. Leadership never has to be forced. If it does, something is wrong. <laughs> you know, if you got to, you know, rule with some strong hand or something, it, 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 something is, is just wrong. They need to know who's in charge. They need to know who the boss is, man. Uh, a person's already fail if they have that attitude uh, over people. Um, but, but again, here they say, you know, we really, we, we really want to do what's right. You know, he wasn't just, oh, well, it's the priests and Levites. How can I go against? He wasn't swayed by any of that. And, and again, I like that a very large assembly, notice um, verse 1 says, of women... Men, women, and children uh, gathered to him from Israel. Um, again, I think when we lead a family, a spouse, a co-worker's church, or whatever, 
with love and humility, they'll always see, you know, we'll always see that kind of response. You know, they witness and know that they're loved, and this is serious, and so I'll listen. I think, you know, that's um, the heart, you know. He, he, he had that heart and that, you know, resonated with the, these guys that are, were heading off in the wrong direction. Um, you, you know, he did love them. And then he arose, verse 5, and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they could do, that they would do, I'm sorry, according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chambers of Jehoahana and the son of Elishabed, and he came there. He ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and that whoever would not come within three days according to the instructions of the leaders and the elders, all his property would be confiscated and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. And so they ask him, you know, okay, Ezra, we understand, you know this, we've sinned, um, so we, we, we want you to help us and lead us in this area and, and, and take over. And so Ezra, you know, uh, sees the people are serious. And then he says, okay, but you got to take this serious as well. This is a serious situation. And, and again, um, you know, you need to take this serious. He, he didn't back off. He didn't just, well, you know, everybody's kind of doing it. And hey, I don't want to, I just got here. I don't want to make enemies right away or whatever, you know, thinking that we could do going down kind of the path that, that I was talking about. Just remember this. You, you can't be too holy or too righteous or too Christ-like. You just can't be. Um, you, you know, you can't think, oh, it'll scare people off. Uh, you know, uh, we, you know, we can't think, oh, we just need to dial, dial it down a little bit so we're relatable. Or let's kind of work through this and everything. Um, you know, we can never be too holy, never too close to Jesus, never too spiritual, never too righteous. It's just not possible. Uh, we, we need to remember that. Now, we're not talking about self-righteous and you, you know, oh, look at me and you're a nobody because that's not the heart of Ezra, Right? But he was taking it serious and we need to grow and become more Christ-like and more spiritual and more holy. That's the direction. That's the path. That's the, the Christian walk. And I'll just give us a couple of short verses here in 2 Corinthians you know, 3.18 says, And so all of us who have had the veil removed, you know, that means we can see Jesus now, and the reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And of course, you know that He's in us, okay? We've seen Him now, and we become more and more and more like Him. As a matter of fact, you know, the whole book of Romans, really, you could go through that and, and see that uh, very well, uh, you know, when you transition from Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith to, okay, now you've seen all these people walking in faith. What, what does that mean to you? And then chapter 12 talks about it. And then you hear in Ephesians uh, 4.15, it says, you know, he says, instead we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Listen, we can't think we're going to scare people off. If we're serious about Jesus, um, uh, you, you know, then it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, and they show that our life is serious, and we live it that way, and we, and, and it's serious to us, and and you know, doing the right thing, it's serious to us. You know, people are gonna see that, and the people it scares off, well, <laughs> they're gonna be scared off no matter what you do at the end of the day, right? 
And, and, and the people that see you're serious and see that's going on and see the changes in your life and seeing, you know, the, the, the growth and the becoming more Christ-like, you know, they'll see that and it'll encourage them. And it'll work in them to, to be more Christ-like or to put away some of the things in this case and to get back where they need to be. Just so important that you, you can't think, you know what, I, I got to dial it down in some way. Again, you know, we're speaking the truth in love and we love people and, uh, but, you know, we're serious about it and we know it's serious and it's serious business and we're always working to look more and more like Jesus in our lives. And he tells them that and he says, listen, you take it serious, you guys need to be here in three days because this, this has to be dealt with. And let's read their response. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twelfth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers, and do his will, separate yourself from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people, and it is a season for heavy rain, and we're not able to stand outside, nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter." Please, verse 14 says, let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and the judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this manner. And then verse 15 tells us, only Jonathan and Ashiel, the son of Jehazari, the son of Tikva, Oppose this, and Meshalem and uh, I know how to say that. Shabbatai. Uh, so the Levite gave them support. <laughs> so, so they they all show up in the three days there. Now it's in the dead of winter, and it's pouring rain, and you know uh, nobody's allowed in the temple but the priests, and that's just when they're doing their service. So they're out there in the courtyards, and this you know, pouring rain, and Ezra is adjusting the sin to the people. But because the rain and the sin was so widespread, right, um, the people suggest that they can come family by family, village by village, city by city, and each case can be looked at by the judges and by the leaders because they're splitting up families. And so they wanted to look closely at each case, case by case, which was good and right. Now, there was a couple of guys that said, nope, we need to do this all now. Uh, and it lists some here, but everybody else was, nope, we're going to do it this way. Yep, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go family by family, uh, village by village, city by city, in front of the judges. They're going to handle this on you know, a case by case basis. And verse 16, then the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest with certain heads of the father's household were set apart by the father's household, each of them by name. And they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. So, they get this group together who is going to do the right thing, make sure the right thing goes down, look at these cases, and it took two months to talk to everybody who had been involved. That just gives you some idea how widespread this was. And again, remember, we're not talking about millions of people being back in the land, right? Uh, you know, 50,000 guys came in the first group with some others, obviously, and a couple thousand men plus others with their group. And maybe some of the remnants that was there, very few were left behind by Nebuchadnezzar. So we're not talking a huge, huge, huge group of people here, but it took them two months to do that. Two months. 
Now, the rest of the chapter lists the names of those who were involved in marrying outside the family. And I'm not going to read the whole list, but I, I do want to just mention the first couple of names that, that Ezra does here. So verse 18 and 19 says, Then among the sons of the priests, okay, these are the guys that are supposed to know better, that do know better, that are really supposed to be setting the example, who, you know, again, even have tighter marriage laws in, in the book of Moses uh, for the priesthood because of their responsibility and the positions that they had, uh, you know, serving the Lord and then serving the people and representing the Lord to the people and the people to the Lord. So, you know, if you like to highlight or underline, you know, these guys were the sons of the priests and they had taken pagan wives and were found. And it says, Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and his brothers. And it lists his brothers here, Mashael, Eleazar, Jerob, Gedidiah. And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. Now, just so that you know, that this is the second time, and I'll just mention it really quickly. But um, notice in the beginning... We read of their trespass, and here it is their trespass offering. Remember, trespass is different than a, like a sin offering. Because sin offering, you know, sin could be done out of ignorance, or it could be spur of the moment. You know, I really lost my temper, and I said things I shouldn't have said, or I did things I shouldn't have done, or, you know, I did this or did this. You know, the idea of trespass is that you're just knowingly, willfully disobeying what God said. Okay, so it's a, it's a, different, it's a different level here. Just know that. So they had a, and because they are, should have known better and they did know better and they're, you know, setting the, a bad example for everybody, that need to be addressed. And, and again, um, when... We need to see this when we're, we see something that is wrong in our lives and our families. You know, we need to deal with it. And, you know, Ezra specifically calls these guys aside because of their position and you need to deal with it. And then he's going to do the same of all the others here in the group. But, but again, you know, when the Lord calls us on something, it's important that we just get rid of it. Whatever it is, you know, movies, games, computers, friends, situations, relationships, this, that, whatever it might be, you know, uh, we, you know, when he calls us on it, you know, they're not like, well, you don't know, and this, no, this is wrong. You know, it's wrong. I, I've told you it's wrong. I've convicted you in your spirit. Well, I got it. No, 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 no. It's wrong. You just got to get rid of it. Just get rid of it. <laughs> we just got to get rid of it. And if we do, you know, uh, uh, again, um, you know, and, and we are out there and we're faithful to tell them the truth and knowing the impact it's going to have on them. Um, you know, uh, the, you know, he's doing it in love and tell them you just got to do it and they're willing to listen. And again, they take responsibility uh, for their actions. And so, uh, you know, they're receiving that instruction. That's the other thing. You know, because a lot of times, you know, we're, we're called on something by the Lord and, and we come up with this and that or whatever. And, you know, it's because of this I'm doing this or I'm doing this out of this or this happened, you know. And we have all these excuses and, and we don't take responsibility. It's so important that we take responsibility. And these guys took responsibility and we see them receiving what they're supposed to do, what Ezra has called them to do and what, you know, what the Lord's called them to do. And, and that's going to make everything go well for them and for the people. And, and then the rest of verses 20 down through 43 just lists, you know, heads of families and names and others, uh, you know, and again, some of the Levites and here and there that should have known better and others that, it, that should have known better that were also a part of this, you know, so it's the leaders of the family and then others, or they had children and they arranged, had arranged marriages with, you know, these people that weren't, that were just pagan living completely different lives than God's people were. 
And let's finish with this verse 44. And so all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Now this is serious. And we talked about how this could spread like cancer throughout the nation, absolutely. But, you know, but the other thing is now you know, you're sending these wives and these children away. And um, uh, so it's a big deal. It's a very big deal, and it's very serious. Now, a good question would be, what does the New Testament say about this? Well, we already talked about it. The first important thing is you never get into the situation, right? Believers aren't supposed to go there in the first place. Uh, I always say date people that are more spiritual than you, that love the Lord more than you, that, you know, want to serve the Lord more than you, and, you know, you'll bring each other up. You know, you always want to move up, right? So, so you know, first of all, don't get yourself in that situation. Certainly, it clearly says that in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But uh, uh, what, what other things do the New Testament say? And it is different. And 1 Corinthians 7 uh, tells us this. And you can read it, but I'm just going to sum it up for, for the sake of time. Uh, you know, it, it talks about this marriage. And, and one of them becomes a believer, and the other one isn't. And, you know, we're, we're told, hey, listen, you know what? Don't, don't jump to divorce, right? Um, it, it, you know, if they're willing to, to, to live with you and, you know, who knows what kind of influence you can be on them uh, in the home and, and your children. So, you know, you, you want to stick with it and work it out and be a godly influence in their lives as much as you possibly can. Now, if one of them you know, doesn't want to be there. The unbeliever says, no way, now you're a Christian, you're doing all this, I don't want anything like to do with that, and whatever, and they want a divorce, then, you know, it says God called us to live in peace, and, you know, you just, you just, that, that's just the way it is, you can let them go. But, Again, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, how do you not know husband or, or that you will save your wife or the opposite is true, your wife, you won't be that great influence uh, on the family. And so the, the New, New Testament you know, speaks of that a little different and gives us some pretty clear instruction on that. But in the Old Covenant, they were just to stay away. And um, again, it was a repeat performance. And sadly... We'll talk about this some more when we get to Nehemiah because it's going to be Jerusalem 3.0 again. They're going to find themselves aligning and doing stuff that they're not supposed to do, um, which tells us that it's just a common battle that the people of God fight every generation. It really is. The influence of the world and being like others and going along with it and following you know, our hearts and our feelings rather than the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and what God's called us to do in our lives for our best interest. And so we'll, we'll visit this again in the book of Nehemiah. But let's, let's close here. Father, we do, we do ask, first of all, that you know, we'd have a heart like Ezra, Father, that just was just broken at the sin of others, Lord. All too quickly, I think, you know, we could be judgmental and, and you know, well, they're doing this and they're doing that and, you know, point the finger pretty easily. And, 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 and not that that would necessarily be wrong either. But, Father, today, and as Ezra saw it, it's just we're, we're all connected in the body of Christ. When one suffers, the other suffers. When, when one rejoices, we all should rejoice because we are connected, Lord. And help us to have that mature view of that. Because when we do, and then we, when we talk to people and encourage them or you know, shoot straight with them in their situation and their lives, what they're doing, then Father, then you know, they'll, they'll know we're serious and that you know, we love you and you know, we're, we're doing it you know, uh, not to make ourselves look good some way or some other reason, but rather it's out of love for you and for them that we do that, and we don't mix words or back down in any way. We're, we stay faithful and say, you know, clearly what you've told us and taught us in your word, Lord. And, and Father, I believe, you know, a lot of times the response is a, is a very good one. 
as was seen here, uh, Lord. But it is a struggle, and it is a difficult thing, and we all are struggling with that in one degree or another, whether it's in relationships or in, in other areas, Lord, to, to you know, be like what everybody else is doing and kind of conform to what everybody else is thinking and being like and acting like and fearing that you know, they're going to call us some names or you know, call us haters in this way or all the other things that they do, Lord. And, and Lord, help us to stand firm. We want to mature in you, Lord. We always want to grow and be more like Jesus. Help us to be those people. For we ask this in our Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.